This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. You might have seen the headlines. Federal Trade Commission finds Facebook five billion bucks over Cambridge Analytica scandal. FTC sues Cambridge Analytica for deceptively harvesting private information from Facebook users. But what's the story behind the story? Who are these people behind this giant tech mess? Well, if you'd like to know, The Great Hack is a good place to start. The new Netflix documentary, streaming now by Kareem Amir and Jahan Nujami, tells the story of the scandal and how it invaded not just our privacy, but the integrity of our elections. Kareem Amir sat down with us to talk about the, how the story came together, including uh, what a trip to Thailand, of all places, to locate a source, and other continents, and also just against a lot of odds. Kareem Amir, thank you very much for joining Roll Call and Political Theater to talk about your new film, uh, The Great Hack. How did you get involved how did, in this project? What, what was it that led you and your co-director, Jahan uh, Nujami, like to, to focus on this topic? The movie is, it comes across like a thriller. Where did you start with it? Because there's so much there. It's a very good and complicated question. I mean, you know, how do you make a story about data um, interesting for people and why should it be a movie? I mean, that's always the first question we ask when we try to make a movie is like, why is this a movie and why is it not an article or, you know, a book or something that isn't visual necessarily? And that became our first kind of quest of like, you know, there, it, it felt that there was a deficit of language in this space. You know, people around the world were feeling that increasingly this idea that there's like my digital life and then my physical life kind of and I have a clear border as to where one begins and where the other ends no longer really existed anymore and in that blurred reality I think we were interested to see kind of what are some of the wreckage sites that are happening as our kind of digital world starts affecting our physical world in, in ways that we didn't imagine. I think for us where it was personal was seeing how disinformation was being weaponized on social media in the Middle East. So I think when when that kind of happened, we realized that this space of weaponized information was a paradigm shift. And as filmmakers, we became really, you know, um, obsessed with this quest of trying to make this invisible world visible. I think the problem was there was no crime scene, right? There was no... Um, place you could point towards and say look this is the this is the event this is where it happened and when we kind of came into this Cambridge Analytica world it provided a rich narrative and had these incredible characters who were out of a Bond movie basically that you could kind of latch onto and for better or for worse whether you like them or don't like them see a preview into this into this world that that could be accessible for people and the the concept of it almost being like a bond movie i mean it it is 
it is almost structured like one. I mean, you have you have the really cool locales, right? You have you know, almost like set pieces. You you interview Brittany Kaiser, Cambridge Analytica whistleblower in Thailand, as well as follow her to London and, and Washington. And you're right, the villains, the the you know Alexander Nix is is really, I mean, you know, skinny tie, foppish hair, like he's right out of like the particularly the the last few Bond movies, which actually dealt a, quite a bit with cyber warfare and so forth. Was that intentional? Because it is the pacing of it is like a thriller. Which were created to connect us have now been weaponized. It's impossible to know what is what because nothing is what. Well, thank you. That's that's a huge compliment. As uh, you know, I think as as documentary filmmakers, we we try to take these complex. Uh, often political stories and make them compelling for people, um, and we think that they can be just because it's just because it's real doesn't mean it shouldn't be any less fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, you know, with the help of our team of incredible t- collaborators, Jahan, my co-director Pedro Cos, who's an incredible writer producer, and Judy Corin, and Aaron, our editor, we really had such an amazing team of filmmakers working together. Each of us with a kind of different. Mm-hmm pedigree, so to speak, of like what our specialty or what our lane of, 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 of excellence is in filmmaking. And, you know, whether it was the graphics coming in or whether it was the editing with Aaron or whether it was the kind of the, the hunting for these characters and this access, it took, it took a, a whole squad. And it took Netflix being patient with us as we kind of evolved the storyline. Because you have to remember, we're trying to tell a story about one of the most talked about events in recent memory. I mean, the Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal has been, you know, in the news constantly. And uh, continues to evolve, too. Absolutely. And the stakes of it continue to evolve. I mean, I think it's been this, because I think what it represents is a bigger moment where we, you know, as we talked earlier, yes, there's this blurring of of our digital and physical worlds, but there's also a, a new understanding of our relationship with Silicon Valley and a lot of these platforms that kind of began as one thing and, and have emerged as something else. I went to high school with Eduardo Saverin, who co-founded Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, he was valedictorian in my class. And, you know, I remember joining Facebook in college, and it was a very different thing than what it is today. You know, and I just think the questions we all have is the new social contract, right, and, and that, that we are facing as citizens is no longer between citizens and government. I think it's between citizens, government, and some of the tech platforms, right? And it's probably can be found in our user agreement. And so we have to kind of ask ourselves, who is rewriting that contract? And what does it look like? And what has to happen in this country for us to kind of embrace this awakening and call for a new social contract in our relationship with technology, and especially in its implications on the democratic process? There are, there are more abstract concepts that you're bringing into the equation, not just data and how do we use it and, and how it, it uses us, concepts like freedom and the democratic process and so forth. And so anyone, I think, can realize that those are important topics, but it, it's not until you have people, which you you have in this in this movie to tell your story that people, I think, feel like they can latch on or, or, or a wider audience can latch on. And you, do, you tell it primarily through three stories. Uh, you know, there's David Carroll, who's a professor at Par- Parsons, who sued Cambridge Analytica to try to get a, a hold of his digital profile. There's Carol Codwallader, a reporter for The Observer and Guardian, who has broken a lot of the stories. And then Brittany Kaiser, the wh- whistleblower from 
Cambridge Analytica. How long did it take you to realize this is how we're going to get to the story? It's a very good question you asked because it's very difficult to know how these stories are going to turn out because our methodology and the way we make films is more observational where we're kind of – we like to be a fly on the wall as people are um, you know, about to embark on a journey and you don't really know how long the journey is going to take and whether they're going to continue to have access to film these people. And you know, with David, uh, what we found was here was a citizen – who was quite passionate and quite knowledgeable coming from this background of data, who saw something uh, in 2016 and recognized, like, this is different. This is a game changer, and we need to do something about it. And what we found in his story was how the power of one citizen to step in and take responsibility and try to do something themselves about it and not wait for the government to call for accountability, but to demand accountability himself. And it really, his story, what's beautiful about it is it shows the power of, of our institutional systems working, where one person can make a difference in this country and, and, in, and in the UK and call for accountability. And then with Carol Codwaller, you had this incredible journalist who didn't come from the technology space, you know, who was a features writer, but who, again, felt like, Brexit's a big deal. This is not mm-hmm. normal. We need to understand how this happened. And when she found that so much of the of the targeting that happened in Brexit was happening in darkness, she took it upon herself to say, you know, I may not be a tech writer, but I'm a journalist and I need to shine a light on what on these on these dark corridors and find out what's happening. And so that was quite compelling and she had, you know, been navigating this story quite thoroughly and finding all kinds of access to former employees that had never spoken before. And without her, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation in many ways. And then you had Brittany Kaiser. And what's so important about Brittany's story is that Brittany was in the hornet's nest. She was deep inside Cambridge. Here was somebody who had began their you know, career working for the Obama campaign and was a kind of you know, very enthusiastic Democrat and had found herself kind of pitching the Trump campaign and working kind of for a very different political uh, side. And I think that it was fascinating for us because she was trying to traverse these different worlds. And in a moment in American history where we've arguably never been as polarized as we are now, here was an opportunity to tell a character story that could take us from two sides of the political arena with the backdrop of how this technology has affected our political reality. And in her story, we find kind of, we find that. And I think that she leaves us with a lot of questions. But what's important to remember about Brittany's story is that it's a window into allowing for redemption to happen as well. And I think that that's an important message in America today. If we want to fix the system, we need people on the inside to come forward. And if we cast them away because of their political sides, then we're never going to understand what's, ha- what's happening. How do we seek redemption in this, in this process? And, and how, how does that affect this conversation and other political conversations at large? You mentioned uh, your, your work with John in the, in the square and how it informed some of your approach to this, you know, that it was you saw cyber warfare almost at work, you know, back back then. And also, I mean, there, this was also how people communicated. They used social media to communicate in a positive way yes. in the Arab Spring and how quickly that in the blink of an eye, we're seeing the same sort of <laughs> communication structures be used, you know, to to weaponize. I mean, there was one point where Brittany describes it as a weapons-grade communication material or something like that. It's, it's a great turn of phrase. 
The army has killed us, has tortured us. And the people out there know that. Absolutely. I mean, we saw in Tahrir Square the entire... I remember leaving the square and coming back to the United States and seeing how much Silicon Valley had embraced the Arab Spring and was kind of kind of almost showcasing it as an example as to the power of the connective world, how Facebook and Twitter had galvanized the spirit of democracy in the streets of Egypt and in other parts of the Middle East, and how this was an example of how powerful these tools were, which they are. But when the pendulum swung the other way, we didn't find Silicon Valley really embracing the, the, the effect of social media and, and of the connected world when you know, ISIS began recruiting people using these same platforms, when disinformation became, mm-hmm. became so vastly spread through social media as well. So we didn't see that same kind of claim for credit. And now when we're seeing a kind of, uh, I would say it's, it's become quite a normal conversation for people asking for accountability, from Silicon Valley, I don't see that there is a willingness for them to step in and, and, and fix the problem. Uh, and, and that concerns us because I think that it's important to remember that Silicon Valley is standing on the shoulders of the open society. Right? I mean, there would be no Silicon Valley without the ideals of the open society, which, which we came to as a world after we burnt the world down to, to, to the ground and had Holocaust and had horrible things happen. So what is the responsibility of Silicon Valley to holding those values. And are those values something that are Democrat or Republican? Aren't those values just American? What happened to that? I mean, I think that's an important question we have to ask ourselves. Like, these shouldn't be, this conversation should not be seen as a partisan conversation because it it is not. It is about, as Carol says in the film, it's about whether we can have a free and fair election ever again. So where do we have that conversation in America today? And, you know, from a Looking at Congress, you know, we cover Congress. We, we spend a lot of time covering Congress at CQ and Roll Call, and we're writing a story, you know, right now about how the data privacy legislation is just kind of stalled for lack of any any sort of you know hardcore champion. I mean, the the tech firms are not they're not getting behind it, and nobody in the White House or in the congressional leadership is saying like, no, this is an absolute priority. And it's just like, how do you how do you get the attention? Aside from making a, a motion picture about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just trying to do our small part of, of telling stories. I think our, our goal was to try to make a, an aspect of this world that's seemingly invisible visible. We hope that this film is 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 not a prescription to solutions, but a a corridor from which people can step in and start having these conversations. You know, I, I, we're not here to tell people how to fix the problem. We are here though to encourage people to start figuring out the ways in which we can do that. And I think it's going to take all members of society, from technologists to lawmakers, to artists and, and journalists, all walks of life to, to come together because this isn't a niche issue, right? It's like anybody with a smartphone, anybody who is connected is is, is part of this conversation, right? Our, our memories, our relationships, our daily communication, all is part of these platforms. So we have to kind of think about what we've stepped into and how we want this technology to be working for us, not against us. Kareem, thank you very much for taking a little time to discuss. Thank you very much, Kareem. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining us, Kareem. And thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Just don't ask Facebook or Cambridge Analytica, apparently. Thanks for listening. <laughs>